Due to the sensitive nature of today's material, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes harm against animals and gore. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. One rainy day in 1994, Utah rancher Terry Sherman and his family hurried to unload boxes from their truck before they got soaked. As he lifted one heavy container, something made him pause. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw movement. About 400 yards away, an enormous gray figure zigzagged through the field, making its way toward them. His first instinct told him it was a wolf, but it was much too large, and it seemed strangely at ease for a wild animal in close proximity to humans. As the predator drew closer, Terry and his family stood frozen. A few feet away in a cattle pen, a calf poked its head through the bars. In a blink, the wolf creature lurched toward it and closed its teeth around the baby cow's skull. While the calf screamed, Terry retrieved his gun. He aimed at the creature's ribs and squeezed the trigger. But the beast didn't move at all. It was like Terry never even shot it. Terry fired again and again, but the wolf didn't budge. Terry couldn't think of anything strong enough to survive three shots from a Magnum revolver. At least, nothing on Earth. But perhaps this was a being from out of this world. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our first episode on Sherman Ranch. In 1994, the Sherman family moved onto their new Utah property. But over the next several years, the land became one of America's most infamous UFO hotspots. Today, we'll cover the strange activity on the ranch. The family confronted animals that couldn't be hurt and spotted inexplicable lights hovering over their farm. Eventually, the strange phenomena became life-threatening. Next time, we'll follow scientists and ufologists who studied the supernatural events at Sherman Ranch. They may have confirmed the existence of aliens, thanks in part to a United States senator. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. In the 20th century, Sherman Ranch became one of America's most notorious destinations for UFO sightings. You might think this is a place you've never heard of, but Sherman Ranch is infamous in UFO culture, known by its more widely used name, Skinwalker Ranch. But due to harmful stereotypes and out of respect to the Navajo people, we'll be using the name Sherman Ranch. This refers to the Sherman family who purchased the land in 1994. Terry and Gwen Sherman drove through the 480-acre estate. They were joined by their two children, a teenage boy whom we'll call Joe, and an eight-year-old girl we'll call Rachel, who looked on from the back seats. They marveled at the cottonwood trees, a babbling creek, and green pastures that stretched across the horizon. After living in a small town in New Mexico where everybody knew their neighbor's business, the Shermans wanted privacy as they raised their children. Now, they didn't have to worry about nosy neighbors because there wasn't another human being for miles. Plus, a 200-foot ridge bordered some of the property, separating the Shermans from the other local farms. Terry and Gwen finally had what they were looking for, a nice, quiet life. They pulled up to a small ranch house on the center of their land. Joe and Rachel sprinted up the porch steps and ran inside, eager to explore their new home. Terry and Gwen followed behind them. The place looked different from when the couple had first seen it, and for good reason. When they toured the property, there were some strange details, to say the least. Every single door in the ranch had been locked with a heavy-duty latch on the outside and the inside. Even the windows were bolted. There were also large metal chains hanging on the walls, the kind people used to tie guard dogs to a post. It seemed like the previous owners had been paranoid about something getting into their house. Whatever it was, they'd spared no expense to keep it out. But the Shermans weren't worried. Once Terry and Gwen decided to buy the property, they got rid of all the locks and chains. They spent months doing renovations before the move-in. And now, they were eager to start a new life for themselves. For the next few months, they worked hard to get their cattle ranch running. One evening, the family was unloading supplies from their truck when they suddenly noticed a mysterious figure in the distance. It was gray, walked on all fours, and it was massive. The beast trotted up to Terry. It was so tall, its snout reached the farmer's chest. Terry didn't know what to do. A wolf wouldn't act this way, but a dog might. With a shaking hand, he reached out and petted the creature. 
The animal was so calm, Terry's children asked if they could keep it. Meanwhile, the wolf-like creature wandered over to the corral, where a calf was sticking its head out. As Terry explained to his kids why they couldn't shelter a wolf, the beast bit the baby cow right in the head. Terry's kids screamed in fear. The rancher kicked the wolf in the ribs as hard as he could, but the animal didn't budge. So Terry grabbed his magnum revolver and fired. The kickback nearly knocked the rancher over. But after multiple shots to the ribs and a direct hit to its heart, the wolf didn't show any signs of pain. It simply released the calf's head and stared at the Shermans. Terry met its gaze, then ordered his son to retrieve their hunting rifle from inside the house. Seconds later, the rancher aimed down the sights and fired two shots at the beast. The wolf staggered back, but stayed upright. The shots appeared to go through its body, inflicting serious wounds, but the animal didn't seem phased. Instead, it just trotted away toward the woods as if nothing had happened. Although the family was shaken, Terry felt a surge of courage. He hoisted his rifle and announced he'd be going after the wolf. Joe said he'd join and grabbed the Magnum handgun. As they ran into the woods, Terry saw the wolf's huge prints. They were perfectly visible on the ground. It should be easy to track him. Sure enough, they caught up to the predator, spotting it just as the animal disappeared around the bend. They hurried after it, confident they'd soon be close enough to take a shot. They followed the tracks for a mile until they suddenly stopped, which was odd because the area was covered in wet mud that should have made the wolf's prints even easier to trace. It was as though the beast had vanished. As they trudged home, Terry worried and wondered at what he'd just experienced. There didn't seem to be any logical explanation for what had happened. A few weeks later, his wife Gwen drove back to the ranch after work. When she reached the property, she had to stop her car, get out and open a gate, drive through, and then close the gate again. As she climbed back in her car, she noticed a gray figure moving towards her. It looked like the same wolf that had attacked the calf. The animal trotted up to her window and peered inside. It had piercing blue eyes, like ice. Gwen tried to remain motionless in the driver's seat, but she saw another beast in the distance. It looked like a black dog, but its head was disproportionately large compared to its body. Gripped with fear, Gwen stepped on the gas and sped the remaining half-mile home. Many of the details the Sherman family saw were kept secret, but they agreed to speak with writers Colm A. Kelleher and George Knapp, who wrote about their story in their book, Hunt for the Skinwalker. Most of what we know comes from their work. However, the day after her experience with the dog-like creature, Gwen did reach out for help. She met with local authorities to log a complaint about the wolves. She demanded someone get them under control immediately. The officials looked at her with blank, confused stares. One told her there were no wolves in Utah. The last one was killed in 1929, almost 70 years ago. 
They insisted Gwen had just seen a coyote. She shook her head. Gwen knew what she'd seen. Or at least she thought she did. But maybe the large gray creature wasn't a wolf at all. It may have been something more. And the events of the coming months would make the Shermans reevaluate everything they believed about their ranch. Coming up, the Shermans get a visit from a supernatural stranger. Hi, listeners. I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of Serial Killers. Like many of you, I'm fascinated by the darker side of humanity. What causes someone to develop such deadly desires and why they decide to act on them? For the past six years, I've been able to explore these curiosities weekly, tapping into the mental states of the world's most notorious killers, examining their backgrounds and habits, searching for answers. If you haven't had a chance to check out our show, there's truly no better time to dive in. With hundreds of episodes to binge and new ones released weekly, Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any avid true crime fan. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Serial Killers. Listen for free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Months after moving on to their new ranch, the Sherman family encountered strange beasts that resembled massive wolves. When they tried to report the animals, a tribal official at the Ute Reservation claimed there were no wolves in Utah. Then, over the next few months, their household items started to go missing. Terry and Gwen couldn't tell if they were misplacing their things or if someone was taking them. Once, Gwen was walking the ranch grounds when something whooshed over her head. She didn't know what it was, but she sensed a large object had just missed her by a few feet. However, when she looked up, there was nothing there. Finally, one evening, Terry took his son Joe and his nephew out for a walk around the ranch. Around dusk, they checked on the cows and admired the sunset. But the idyllic scene was marred by a pair of lights cresting a nearby hill. About a half mile away, an RV seemed to be approaching the Sherman's property. Terry was furious. His ranch was private property and the RV was trespassing. He and the boys hustled toward the vehicle, eager to give the driver a piece of his mind. When they were about 200 yards apart, the car stopped and backed away. It was like the driver had seen them, even though the Shermans were outside the headlights' range. Either way, the RV was headed toward a fence, and Terry feared it might plow right through it. He jogged toward the car, hoping to get the driver's attention. But before he could catch up, its headlights rose a few feet, as though the RV was levitating. It cleared the fence easily. Terry wondered if his eyes were playing tricks on him. Meanwhile, the vehicle kept rising, and it accelerated. As it sped towards the tree line, Terry braced for a crash. But the RV soared over it, more than 50 feet in the air. The Shermans couldn't believe their eyes. 
At this angle, they could see the vehicle wasn't an RV at all. A second-hand account by authors Colm A. Kelleher and George Knapp described the object as long and flat, almost like an enormous refrigerator. The craft disappeared into the night sky. Within seconds, no trace remained. Once again, Terry was baffled. He still hadn't made sense of it or the wolf encounter several weeks later when he and Gwen were out for a walk at sunset. On their stroll, they heard something like a metallic bang. Gwen scanned their surroundings, then gasped and pointed. In the distance, a vehicle lifted off of the ground and zipped away over the trees. Sightings like these continued through the winter of 1994. At one point, Terry spotted something similar floating over the snow. A few weeks later, he went out of town for a couple of days while the kids stayed at a friend's house. This left Gwen all alone on the ranch. Naturally, she felt tense and nervous. One evening, she returned home from work around 6 o'clock. Like always, she drove through the gates, then left her car to close them. But when she buckled her seatbelt and pulled forward, an ominous shadow passed over her window. A dark triangle loomed overhead. On either side of her vehicle, she noticed red, green, blue, and yellow lights reflected on the snow. She didn't know what it meant, and she wasn't interested in finding out. Gwen stepped on the gas, but the triangle ship stayed with her, like it was tailing her, or even worse, whatever was on board wanted to abduct her. Thankfully, as she neared the house, the ship peeled away, disappearing into the night. Gwen hurried inside and phoned Terry, who calmed her down. He reminded her she was secure inside her house now. Just to be safe, before she went to bed, Gwen glanced out of her kitchen window to see if the triangular vessel was still out there. It wasn't, but something was outside. The RV-like vehicle, the one Terry and the boys had seen before, was parked just 200 yards from the house, right in the middle of their field, like it was waiting for her. Gwen could see into its lit windows. It looked like there was a desk inside with a dark figure sitting behind it. The figure stood and walked toward the vehicle's brightly lit doorway. It paused there, gazing out at something. It might have been looking at the house, or perhaps at Gwen herself. It looked to be seven feet tall and wore a black visor and long black boots. Unnerved, Gwen shut the drapes and called Terry again, pleading with him to return home. He left at once, driving all night to reach her. When he arrived home the next morning, Gwen showed him where the vehicle had been. While the RV thing was gone, there were massive footprints on the ground. They were almost 18 inches long much larger than any human foot. From then on, Gwen refused to go out at night. She made her children stay inside as well. But even in their home, the Shermans might not have been safe. While sitting on the porch one day, Terry looked up and squinted. It looked like there was a second sun in the sky. This one was orange, and it was very large. This wasn't an isolated incident. 
Day after day, the ball of light kept popping up in the sky. The other Sherman saw it too. Sometimes it looked flattened or rectangular. Occasionally, it was visible at night, but it always appeared in the exact same place. One evening, Terry peered through his rifle scope to get a closer look at it. Reportedly, the viewer let him see the orange orb in great detail, and it was stunning. Although the night sky was dark, inside the light, Terry saw a patch of sunny blue. Like the orange ball of light was some kind of opening, a portal to some place where it was still daytime. Later, while Terry sat on his porch and stared at the orange gateway, a small black object appeared at its center. It grew larger and larger, or more accurately, it drew closer to Terry and the house. Once it fully emerged from the portal, Terry recognized it as one of the black triangle ships Gwen had seen before. Just as he identified it, the aircraft zipped away through the night sky. Terry took this as proof that his ranch sat under some kind of an interdimensional pathway. He wondered what might come through next and what they might do. But he couldn't spend all his time speculating about alien visitors. He still had a ranch to run. In the winter of 1994, a snowstorm struck the Uinta Basin. Terry rounded up his cattle and brought them into shelter. But one was missing, an Angus breeding cow. For nearly 24 hours, Terry searched for her. Just as he feared she'd gotten lost and frozen to death, he discovered fresh tracks in the snow. Terry followed the footprints. At first, they traveled a straight line, but then they swayed from side to side. The evenly spaced tracks grew wider and wider apart, like the cow's stride was getting longer. It looked like she was running from something, but there were no other prints around her. Finally, in the middle of a clearing, they stopped altogether, as if the cow had vanished into thin air. Coming up, the supernatural encounters forced the Shermans off their property. Now, back to the story. One winter night, Terry Sherman went out in search of his lost cow. Her tracks led to a clearing in the woods, then stopped. Terry scoured the area for another half an hour, but he found neither hide nor hair of the missing cow. He may have blamed cattle rustlers, people who steal farm livestock for profit. But it would have been a death trap for the rustlers to do such a thing during a raging blizzard. And if cattle rustlers weren't the culprit, Terry found himself entertaining wilder possibilities, like the orange portals in the sky. Perhaps his cow had disappeared into one of those, or one of the mysterious black ships may have taken her. Although Terry was convinced something strange was happening on his ranch, he didn't want to jump to conclusions. He continued searching in vain, hoping his cow would show up one day. Instead, he lost four more animals that winter. They all seemingly disappeared, just like the cow. For context, he lost very little stock in the years since he'd bought the land. But in a matter of months, he'd lost five. Something was seriously wrong on Sherman Ranch. 
That April, heavy rains hit the farm. Terry sent Joe out to secure their cattle. This wasn't an easy task. One young calf was particularly difficult to wrangle. It was stressed, separated from its mother, and didn't come to Joe when he tried to ferry it to safety. Instead, he had to chase the calf while it kept scampering away. Suddenly, Joe heard a high-pitched whine. He turned and saw another cow trying to climb a muddy hill that overlooked a stream. It got a few feet up the embankment, then slid back down into the shallow water. But Joe didn't have a chance to stop. He was busy trying to corral the young calf. He decided to come back for the slipping cow after. He figured it wouldn't get far in the mud anyway. Once the calf was secure, Joe returned to the cow on the hill. But he didn't hear it whining anymore. He walked toward the creek and found the animal completely still. It was dead. The water didn't seem deep enough to drown in. Curious, Joe leaned over the dead animal and nearly vomited. Its backside was completely cut off, seemingly with a sharp blade, and its insides had been sucked out. Joe screamed. Moments later, his father arrived, panicked. Terry asked Joe what was wrong, but the teenager was at a loss. He'd only been gone for 20 minutes. He couldn't understand what had happened. Neither of them could. To make matters worse, a few months after the mutilation, Terry spotted yellow lights flying low over his herd at night. He was worried about the mysterious aircraft, but it seemed harmless. Until Terry discovered another cow lying motionless in the bushes. Once again, the animal's backside was missing. One of its ears had also been sliced off, and its reproductive organs had been carved out. A strange brown liquid pooled next to the dead cow. Terry reached down and touched it. It was cold and felt like a gel. It also had a unique scent Terry couldn't place. He galloped home as fast as he could, then returned a few minutes later with bottles to collect samples. But it was too late. The liquid had evaporated. Maybe he'd have another chance to solve the mystery, as the Sherman's troubles continued. In the first months of 1996, Terry found two more cows mutilated. Each represented thousands of dollars in lost profit, since he couldn't sell their beef. He and Gwen started to wonder if their ranch was in jeopardy. That said, cattle mutilations had been known to occur in the West since the 1960s. If those farmers could survive it, the Shermans hoped they could too. On a spring night in 1996, Terry and Gwen stood out on their porch watching their cattle. The animals seemed restless, especially as a glowing blue orb flew through the woods, darting in and out of the trees. The shining object lurched toward the animals and circled one horse's head. Then the ball of light turned toward the Shermans and flew straight at them. It stopped 20 feet away, floating in midair. From this distance, the Shermans could see what appeared to be a glass shell encasing blue energy inside. Terry was paralyzed with fear. Next to him, Gwen began weeping. The reactions felt so strange that Terry was convinced the orb was manipulating their behavior. 
For some reason, Glenn then clicked on her flashlight and pointed it at the orb. When the light hit it, the ball danced away, back to the woods and out of sight. Finally, this was too much. Gwen dropped to the floor and wept. She announced they had to leave the ranch. She couldn't bear to stay there any longer. As Terry crouched down to comfort his wife, he sensed she was likely right. But he wasn't quite ready to commit to move yet. They went inside and decided to sleep on it. There was a lot to think about. The Shermans had worked hard to afford the ranch. It would be difficult to find another property that was as beautiful as this one. Every night, Terry liked to sit on his porch with his dogs and marvel at the sunset. But in April 1996, the blissful scene was interrupted when Terry noticed a blue flash in the sky. The orb was back. Like during the last encounter, the object glided around for a bit, then headed straight toward Terry and his dogs. Instinctively, Terry released his hounds. They leapt at the orb, trying to catch it, but each time the ball maneuvered away. Soon, the tussle moved toward the tree line. From where Terry sat, it looked like the craft was directing the animals towards the woods. The dogs pursued the sphere into the trees, out of Terry's sight. He waited, listening to his pet snarls echo across the farm. All of a sudden, he heard them cry out. Then, silence. Terry sat on the porch, stunned. He waited there, not daring to follow the dogs into the woods, hoping they'd return on their own. But hours passed, and they never did. Eventually, he went to bed, his heart heavy with grief. The next morning, he ventured out to the tree line to search for them. In a clearing, three circles of black and brown grass smelled of rotted, burning flesh. His beloved dogs were dead. Eyes brimming with tears, Terry bent over and heaved. This was the final straw. That day, he told his family it was time to sell the ranch. But it was challenging to find someone to take the land off their hands. Word of the Sherman's encounters had circulated in the newspapers. Soon, all across the country, stories of cattle mutilations, alien spaceships, crop circles, and more fueled the rumor mill. The news likely discouraged some buyers. But in the summer of 1996, a businessman named Robert Bigelow took an interest in the farm. By day, Bigelow was a millionaire who owned a national hotel chain. In his spare time, he studied UFOs and founded the National Institute for Discovery Science, or NIDS. For nearly two years, the Shermans had been supposedly haunted by creatures from another world or dimension. Now, NIDS would come in and once and for all try to answer the question, what was going on at Sherman Ranch? Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back next time with part two of Sherman Ranch. For more information on Sherman Ranch, amongst the many sources we used, we found Column A. Kelleher and George Knapp's book, Hunt for the Skinwalker, extremely helpful to our research. 
You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash with Nick Johnson as our head of production and quality control by Lisa Marie Gallegos. Allie Wicker is our supervising editor and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Alex Bernard, edited by Ben Hanani and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Claire Cronin, Researched by Josephine Cahew and Chelsea Wood. Produced by Bruce Katovich, with recording and sound design by Alex Button. Our hosts are Molly Brandenburg and me, Richard Rossner. <laughs> <laughs>